G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne with the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation. We come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. The Federal Government policy of internships for young workers at fast food outlets and retail have come under fire over the Christmas period when it was found a job search agency was fielding young workers under the internship program to cover holiday vacancies at a fast food outlet. We speak to Josh Cullinan from the Fast Food and Retail Workers Union for an insight into the issues surrounding the internship program for young workers. We follow this with a report on the local support for Irish nurses who are going on strike for better wages and conditions on January the 30th. But first, some union news. In overseas news, striking LA teachers have registered a major victory for their public schools. Eric Blanc reports in The Nation that on January the 18th, that after months of systematic organising and over a week of striking, educators voted by an overwhelming majority to support a tentative agreement that includes smaller class sizes, a nurse in every school, more counsellors and librarians, steps against charter schools and a slew of common good demands regarding social justice issues like immigrant rights, racial profiling and green spaces at schools. It would be hard to overrate the importance of this victory, he says, in the country's second largest school district. Against considerable odds, Los Angeles teachers have dwelt a major blow against the forces of privatisation in the city and nationwide by taking on democratic politicians in a deep blue state, he says. Liberal pundits and politicians framed the 2018 teacher walkouts as a red state revolt, as if the crisis of public education was limited to Republican-dominated states like West Virginia, Arizona and Oklahoma. But the Los Angeles movement has made it clear that Democratic politicians have imposed the same policies of privatisation and austerity. Like the Red State Rebellions of 2018, the depth of the victory in Los Angeles underscores why the future of organised labour depends on reviving the strike, he says. LA also shows that the most powerful strikes, particularly in the public sector, fight not only for the demands of union members, but on behalf of the broader community as well. An approach the United Teachers of Los Angeles calls bargaining for the common good. LA's Educators' Revolt is a particularly sharp expression of nationwide rejection of decades of neoliberalism. Unlike many labour actions, this was not primarily a fight around wages. Rather, it was a political struggle against the billionaires and their proxies in government. Still in America, the five-week non-payment of federal workers in America came to an end, reports Eric Levitz, when Trump conceded defeat. Why? 
because the men and women who control America's air traffic and attend to its airline passengers made it change. After weeks of unpaid labour, Americans, already underfunded and understaffed air traffic controllers, finally brought the shutdown home, calling out sick in numbers large enough to grind airports across the eastern seaboard to a halt. In a statement, their union disavowed any coordinated activity that negatively affects the capacity of the national airspace system, but noted that it had warned lawmakers that a prolonged shutdown would lead many controllers to the breaking point of exhaustion, stress and worry, thereby undermining their job performance and thus Americans' safety. In New South Wales, Stick Together reported last week that workers employed by Hutchinson Ports in Sydney and Brisbane have voted overwhelmingly to commence broad-ranging industrial action. It was reported on the 24th of January at the picket line, Sydney Branch Secretary Paul McAuley was arrested for sitting down on a picket at Port Botany protesting. In an effort to protect their jobs at Hutchinson's, Given the rotten uh, attitude of the company, and lo and behold, there was an agreement reached that we would walk from the Hutchinson Terminal, or we would march from the Hutchinson Terminal, go around the roundabout up here in Pendron Road, go back, and that would be the whole And what happened was, when we got into Pendron Road, the police, the police force, and the superintendent over there reneged on his deal and he called these black shirts out, the Public Order Right Squad Police. And here we've got a standoff. And other, on top of that, Paul McAleer, the brand's second was sitting down with the rest of his here. And the police, with the help of these black shirt creatures here, come up and dragged, physically dragged him off. Physically grabbed him away and they got him in a wagon. Then a member, one of our members, just happened to stray down outside of the area and try to come back and then pinched him and then put him in a wagon as well. So if this is what the New South Wales judicial system does, if this is justice, if this is what the police are here for, well, the people of New South Wales are in a very, very sorry state. And the Premier of this state, Gladys Berejiklian, has a lot to answer for when she allows this type of brute force against working men and women when they simply try to protect their area of work and their rights at work. Shame on you, Gladys Berejiklian. Shame on the police minister. And shame on the brutal effort of these people to not consider whether you're a man, a woman or a child, to just stand around and just physically beat you. And that's what's happened here. I got hit in the chest. I got hit in the chest by this rooster right behind me. But we're not going away. The Maritime Union of Australia said Hutchinson's demands include a 2.5% cut to superannuation, reductions to sick and parental leave, cuts to redundancy and long service leave, removal of income protection, wages cuts of up to $10 per hour 
followed by a wage freeze, a reduction in safety standards, including the loss of full-time first aiders and removal of personal protective equipment. The Community and Public Service Union, the CPSU, has been pointing out how far the present government has been running down the services to the public. But Julian Hill, MP, Labor member of Bruce, took the opportunity with Invasion Day, Survival Day, Australia Day coming around to reveal how the under-resourcing of the public service affects real people aiming to take out Australian citizenship. They are on track by the end of this week to have 283,272 applications hanging around in the Minister's black hole of the department. That's a ten times blowout since they came to office. Now, these are not just numbers. These are people, permanent residents, living in Australia for years, working, paying taxes, their parents, their workers, their carers. They've fallen in love. They've married Australians. They've come here on skilled visas, business visas, humanitarian visas, spouse visas, you name it. They are people who want to formalise their commitment to this country. We should expect them to do so if they've been living here for that long. We should expect it and we should welcome it. Now, the impact of the delay in human terms is appalling. Citizenship delays are the big four, as we call them in my electorate office. Centrelink stuff-ups, NBN stuff-ups, migration problems and citizenship. That's the bread and butter now in my electorate. We have, every week in the foyer of my office, grown men crying. That is not an exaggeration. They come in in a state of hopelessness and despair. Trevor, you may laugh, Member for Brisbane, you may laugh. I challenge you, come to the office and look into the eyes of the man who's been here for 10 years without the ability to go home, without the ability to see his family, without the ability to study to complete his degree. You may think that's funny. I do not. It is disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. How can you honestly defend a system where you have 288,000 pieces of paper in a government department queued up with no end in sight? Now, when, what we get told by the minister is this is a caseload issue. Well, put some more resources on it. Or there's an identity issue. Most of them are not complex. They're routine. And then we get told, well, it's a security issue. Well, they live here. They are permanent residents who live here. So if they're so bloody dangerous, why don't you just chuck them out or process their citizenship applications? Is it incompetence? Well, it could be when you have a look at the performance of the minister's department. It could be cruelty with Hanson coming to the parliament. It could be disenfranchisement, a secret agenda, or it's part of your agenda to create a two-class society of people living in Australia but never being able to fully participate as Australians. You're happy to take their labour, you're happy to see them exploited in the workplace, you're happy to take their taxes, but you won't let them formalise their commitment to this country. Shame on you. Most vulnerable workers in Australia, indeed all Australians who migrated here, learnt last year what you really think of them with your racist university-level English language test. And yes, I say racist because of the little carve-out for the Anglosphere, your much-beloved Anglosphere. If you come from a white country, that's OK. You don't have to sit the test. You come from anywhere else, university-level English grammar for you. Disgusting. Over the weekend, tens of thousands of people in Australia rallied to recognise the need to reconsider the 26th of January as a date to celebrate Australian nationhood. This is a recognition, finally, that since 1938, Aboriginal groups have been calling publicly 
for this day to be recognised as a day of mourning. The Australian nation needs to embrace its black history. In honour of this, the final word in our news section today goes to Aboriginal actor Mark Cole-Smith, who posted the following. Well, here we are again, the 26th of January, Australia's proudest day. And in case there's any confusion, this date marks the colonial takeover of British imperial interests at the expense and destruction of this continent's original nations. These were sovereign nations unrecognised by the Crown through a lie known as Terra Nullius. Empty land. It was a strange description to give the place when those residing here had maintained complex practices of agriculture, astronomy, trade and legal customs for tens of thousands of years. And since the arrival of the First Fleet, the struggle for historical recognition, political justice and self-determination has been ongoing. You see, what we call modern Australia was built upon black lands, black lives and black deaths. In fact, the richest person in this country is a woman whose father once encouraged on national television the use of poison in wiping out the native population. And the suffering tied to the impacts of colonisation are still happening today in the forms of child suicide, incarceration rates, poverty, a lack of treaties, destruction of ecological habitats, highest mammal extinction rates on the planet, widespread deforestation, flags of human rights abuses by the UN, collapsing marine systems... I'm sorry. I'm being a bit of a downer. I know that bringing up these issues can agitate those who like to describe themselves as proud Australians. And you know what? Everyone has the right to be proud of their heritage. That doesn't mean you have to be proud of all of it. That's just called keeping it real. But I think that the pride of what we have is so much smaller than what we can accomplish. In this case, having the courage and compassion to listen and contribute to the genuine reconciliation of Australia's Indigenous past and present, that's something Australia could really be proud about. So perhaps... Rather than just celebrating the luxury of Australian lifestyle, we could also commemorate the continued survival of the world's oldest living culture. It's not about changing the date, it's about changing the nation. And if you can be a part of that change, well, that would be bloody awesome. Peace. You're listening to Stick Together the only national program focusing on workers' stories and union news. The Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, RAFU, hit the news recently around the fight for 10-minute breaks at McDonald's franchises. This is only one instance that RAFU has identified where their members, and particularly young workers, are being exploited. I spoke to Secretary of the Union Josh Cullinan about the issue of internships a federal government policy apparently designed to get young people into work. But the more you look, the more the dark side of the policy becomes apparent. The uh, government's uh, decision to try and use internships as a method of uh, getting young people into work, uh, being used in fast food outlets and retail, uh, can you give us an idea of uh, what a misstep this is? So we know that 
unemployment and underemployment is a significant problem in Australia. And this isn't solved by creating cut-price, low-cost jobs um, or really replacing current low-paid jobs with even lower-paid jobs. And that's what's happening in fast food. Uh, these workers need genuine, ongoing, secure, well-paid employment, and they need support to find that employment. Um, and that's entirely fair in a country like Australia, which has had a long, proud history of social security. These jobs are anything but that. It's sort of fascinating to me because uh, internships were always a sort of a... Um slightly nasty sort of thing that were done for people who were trying to uh, get they'd done a university degree they wanted to go into a professional area of expertise they would offer themselves to do something without pay to be able to get experience because that gave them an entree into say the film industry or something of that sort it just seems so strange to think that uh, that sort of trade-off would be considered to be something normal for someone learning the skills required for working in a fast food outlet or in retail? Yes, sure. Look, we understand that these these proposals are using the language of internship, but no one seriously in the sector understands that these are internships in what has ordinarily been known. Um, These are just one way that big business is hand-in-glove with the Liberal National Party government to find very cheap workers or workers who are going to be paid very, very little to work in stores like Hungry Jack's. Uh, Our members do difficult work. Uh, There are skills now being used in your average fast food joint, which couldn't have even been dreamt of 20 or 30 years ago, whether it's trying to handle an inquiry on a headset through your earpiece while also dealing with a cash register with someone else talking to you at the window or trying to pay at the window using electronic tools and um, FPOS systems and also having the skills to be able to run a successful restaurant and make all the foods that need to be made in these environments. There's a broad set of skills which are now applied um, and our members do exercise a great deal of skill in in, uh, working at these kinds of places. But these These jobs are purely about finding a group of workers who are only short-term, they're only going to be there 12 weeks, um, who are going to be paid remarkably less than the minimum wage. Now, workers in Hungry Jacks are already getting paid a great deal less than minimum wages because the SDA helped rip out all of the penalty rates and uh, secure job conditions that otherwise would apply if there was no dodgy agreement in place. But they found another way to go even further here. Um, and these cut-price deals, which have replaced entire workforces of Christmas casuals, uh, are really quite shocking. It was interesting that you bring up the Hungry Jacks thing, because this is where it first, uh, one of the latest elements to this, uh, scandals to this, was that uh, a job search agency uh, was put up an ad suggesting that people might like to do their internships at Hungry Jacks during this Christmas period when Hungry Jacks puts on more people. So it's a, a closed circle, isn't it, this business of this exploitation? Oh, absolutely. And, and these aren't, aren't genuine opportunities. These are uh, job network providers that can breach workers for not complying with their demands 
and breaches mean that workers don't get their unemployed uh, unemployment social security benefits. Um, so when uh, Max Consulting or any other firm comes to a worker and says, here's an internship, um, apply now, there is no choice. And let's not, let's not lose the sight that there are payments from the federal government to these employers for, um, for placing um, the young unemployed into these roles. It's also particularly concerning, Annie, that this, these are jobs at Christmas. So effectively, they are exploiting a very low-paid workforce to have to work over a period where they would otherwise be spending a little bit of time with their families. For many young workers going through the difficulty of under or unemployment, they even have their Christmas and New Year's taken from them when they have to go out and work at Hungry Jack's for $4 an hour. So there's this compulsion from the uh, uh, legal compulsion that comes from the job agency, but then you also have this business about them saying that they'll be paid $200 more than their uh, Centrelink, their new start, for working, but then the company that takes them on or the business that takes them on gets paid $1,000. Yes, that's right. So, so what we have here is a situation where um, Hungry Jack stores and other stores where members reporting that other companies are using them too, using these internships too. Um, they are paid a direct payment for having the worker. They don't have to pay any wages no. to the worker and they've got no obligation to pay the worker at the end of the process. It's quite bizarre kind of policy, isn't it? Because you could actually build real jobs and pay people really with all that money. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's right. And it's an extra level of bizarre because it is abolishing and destroying real jobs. You know, the 15 or 16-year-old or 17-year-old who might want to get a first job down at the local Hungry Jacks, when they went down there and applied at these Hungry Jacks that were affected by this um, in the last couple of months, they were no doubt told, oh, there are no business casual jobs this year, uh, or we don't need you. But back of mind for that franchise owner, and maybe for Hungry Jacks corporate, was uh, that they were going to have this influx of literally free workers. Not only that, they were going to be paid to take on free workers. Um, and it's just abominable that our government would actually destroy jobs to replace them with these kind of uh, slave ships, which um, they've been able to get away with. Now, there was a, a inquiry, a Senate inquiry into... Uh, job insecurity, and it was shown that the internships were there were actually companies or businesses that were hiring people using this system, and then then as soon as the uh, time frame was up, they kicked them out and then got some new lots in, and they did this on a continuous basis. The, the way we know capital works is it will go to the lowest common denominator. It will save a buck if it can save that buck. And your local Hungry Jacks in Victoria, for example, has an agreement from 20 years ago. The 1999 Hungry Jacks agreement with the SDA is still in place, still strips all penalty rates, still abolishes job security for part-time workers. They have to wait for their weekly roster to know if they're, when and they're working in the next week. Um, it abolishes a whole range of other conditions. That's been kept in place because that suits capital, Hungry Jacks, and capital, the SDA. Um, now, if there is a new opportunity presented to whether it's Hungry Jacks or McDonald's or any of the other fast food companies, they're going to they're going to take it up with gusto. They can find a way that allows them to not only not pay workers but actually get a kickback in in the process. 
uh, we know that that's what they will go for, um, which is why we need strong, vibrant, democratic unions in retail and fast food. I'm at Federation Square. It's the uh, 27th of January and there's going to be a gathering here of expatriate Irish nurses coming together to show support for their nurses in Ireland who are going to be taking strike action, rolling strikes because of conditions and the inability to uh, maintain service levels at the appropriate levels because so many of their trained nurses are actually finding places overseas to work. I'm from 3CR. I do a program that's a workers-focused program and I'm aware that you've come out and I was just wondering, uh, could you sort of relate to me some of the issues that are involved and why you've come today? Well, basically we're highlighting the issues with, I suppose, Irish nurses and midwives. Short staffing is a huge one. Um, Our allocation of patients to nurse or midwife ratio, it's not safe. Um, Also, our pay over the last 10 years has been cut and we've been subject to more um, taxes and deductions that other workers in Ireland or different careers wouldn't be subject to. People that have been through college for the same amount of years, the same level of jobs like physios, occupational therapists, teachers and guards, they're all receiving higher pay rates than us and they do less hours a week. So that'd be two of the main issues really that we're here to highlight. And, And you've come yourself? to Australia to work? Yes, I have. I was here five years ago working as a nurse and I've returned here now to work as a midwife. So, yeah. So you get better pay and better conditions here? Absolutely, yes. We were just discussing it on the tram out here. Absolutely, yeah. The patient to nurse or midwife ratio is much lower. I feel like you give a better standard of care and the pay is much higher. Even for living in a country like Australia where the cost of living is higher, you still kind of better quality of life out here. And the weather is much nicer. <laughs> but but say because uh, I saw a banner and it said you know gi- uh, give us something to come home for. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you go home and leave? I mean you know it's a hard thing to change the uh, world that you're going to live up mm. into. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I'm I'm content at home, but I'm not getting paid enough for the conditions we work in. Like we're coming home so so tired, so understaffed, like ridiculous conditions. Really, like nearly unsafe because there's not enough staff and you're just not getting paid for the kind of work you do. How long have you been here? I only landed today, fresh <laughs> off the boat. <laughs> and have you got a job to go to? Have yeah, you been yeah. contracted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem to get a job here. Yeah. They, they had talks last week that failed, so like they had to go because they obviously didn't want this strike to go ahead. But I think they're looking for a 12.5% increase. Which I think they should Which go for pay more. Which is restoration, not a pay rise. Yeah, it's pay restoration. They've cut our yeah. pay over the years, and that's 12%. They've cut like, your pay? To, for us to move home, Dublin is where all the jobs are. We couldn't afford Dublin with the with the wages that we're getting at the moment. So That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to Josh Cullinan and the Irish Nurses for being part of the programme today. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or you can log on on iTunes. We'll go out with a song that uh, should inspire a new future for Australia.
true.